Hey, what is up, everybody? This is Aaron and Braylon, and we are the Into the Light podcast. We are dedicated to sharing stories of empowerment and clarity regarding the gray area around sexual topics in modern day church culture. Bray, do you want to introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, for sure. I am Braylon. I'm the other co host on our podcast, Into the Light. And basically, I'm from Tempe, Arizona, and I. I'm very passionate about this subject, i.e. making a podcast about it. Um, I live here in Provo, Utah. Go to Utah Valley University. Is there anything else you need me to say here? Okay, so let me <laughs> let me actually introduce Braylon right now. So <laughs> I've I've had the privilege of getting to know Braylon over the last like eight months or so. Yeah. Nine months. That's kinda crazy. Ever since she moved into the same we moved into the same apartment complex. Braylon is one of the most energetic people you'll ever meet in your whole life in the most positive way. Oh, God. <laughs> you guys are in for a treat this episode. So Braylon, she's 22. She's currently studying biology, majoring in biology, minoring in chemistry. She's crazy. She's actually crazy because she works 40 plus hours a week. She's taking 16 credit hours and she has time to do stuff like this. And I just don't think she sleeps. That's facts. I don't. I, I'm not <laughs> kidding. I got off my shift at 5 a.m. last night, and I had church. I had to go there at 9:45. So, and I she's don't there. Sleep. She's there at church, validating others. So Braylon is a natural, <laughs> natural leader. And ever since I first, it might have been a fast and testimony meeting. Oh no! This is before we were actually friends. Oh, I think. Could be. But Braylon just got up. And I don't even remember what she said, but like just the energy that came into the room. I just, I felt so fired up to go complete my life mission. <laughs> Whatever that was. <laughs> Whatever that was. <laughs> no, but you all will hear it today um, as Brayland shares her story because she is our first guest on the Into the Light podcast. And we're so privileged to have her. We're so grateful that she's open to sharing her story. If you were to meet her today and just have a conversation with her, you would never guess the stuff that she's been through. And you'll see that in a few moments. Um, do you have anything to add on to that, Braylon, about yourself? Um, you should know? No, I mean, I think as I tell my story, I'll, I'll get into kind of specificities of my life and how I grew up and et cetera. So. Okay. Um, All you guys need to know is Braylon is a light to everyone that she meets and you'll feel it through the way that she talks. She just has, she has great energy about her. I'm excited. Let's get into it though. Let's do it. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Braylon. So where did you grow up? Um, grew up in Tempe, Arizona, born in Mesa, Arizona. Lived there all my life. I love Arizona. No one can ever convince me that it's not the best state. So and you're living here in Utah now. And I live in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I grew, should I just get into it? I mean, what, what kind of conditions did you grow up in? Like, were you living in the same house throughout your childhood? Oh, yeah. So um, I grew up in, so Tempe, Arizona. So lived in Mesa. Then we moved to Tempe. And we were living with my grandma when I first was born. And then we moved into a trailer park. 
and then my other brother was born and we lived there for about two or three years no that's a lie maybe like four years we lived in that trailer park learned a lot of stuff about life at a very young age i think i was between i was i was younger than kindergarten so um yeah i was between the age of like three and five and six and I, I still remember that trailer park to this day. We we made some great friends there till this day. We're still friends with them as a family. Um, but really tough, tough times. And then we decided, or my parents kind of got their crap together and we moved in a house, not like maybe two blocks away. How um, old were you guys, were you when you guys moved? I think I was about in first grade. I was okay. like six or seven. But you remember the trailer that you grew up in? Yeah, pretty vividly? I, do. I remember very clearly. And not even just from pictures. I remember like my friends across the street and like stuff like that. It was it was fun. I remember having my birthday party in the park right there in the trailer park. It was a nice trailer park. It like wasn't a bad one, but like it's a trailer park, so there was sketchy crap happening all the time. <laughs> um, but I was young. I didn't really understand that stuff. And like my mom, she very much guarded us from it. And like so, I never understood. And she kind of like there were kids and their parents were doing all these crazy things. And my mom, like, like we just, she probably knew about it now that I think about it, but I had no clue. I had no clue. Those parents were like that. I had no clue that those kids are like that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how many, how many siblings did you have growing up? Um, so growing up, I had three brothers. I was the only girl. Um, and it was me and my parents. Uh, my dad was, my dad was present in my life um, growing up. He kind of, when we were first born, not, like, entirely into the whole idea of, like, let me be a father and, like, let's do this kind of thing. Um, but he's definitely grown over time. And, like, my dad's the best. He's an amazing father. Um, but, yeah, I don't. Where do you, where do you fit in your siblings? Um, so I'm the third. So it goes, I have two older brothers and then I'm the third and then I have a younger brother, Brock. And yeah, I love my family. They're great. Um, when I was 13, should I begin? Okay. When I was 13, um, we adopted my six cousins and that was literally a shock because the oldest that we adopted, he was seven or eight. And then the youngest, so there was five at the time, the youngest, she was two months and it was the only girl. Um, so at that time, it was um, four, five, six boys. No, seven boys and me and my little sister. So there were nine. Um, and then two years into the process, uh, we adopted the last one. Um, their mother had a baby in jail. And so the state asked us if we wanted to take him, and we took him. So we got him when he was three days old and love that little kid he's crazy but <laughs> i kind of was a second mom at a very young age um just because that's how i am my personality but also because i mean my mom couldn't just deal with that my dad was in school barely too so like my dad was in school at nights and he worked during the days and then it was my mom and i was super involved in school and sports and stuff and my brothers were too so i honestly like looking back i'm like when did, when did we have time to like sit down and eat dinner together but we did <laughs> i don't know it was a miracle my mom's amazing how did how did adopting your six cousins how did that change the fam family dynamic um a lot <laughs> we went from a family of six to a family of 12 overnight literally the day yeah. before thanksgiving um it was tough because 
the my cousins now my siblings um they came from very different backgrounds like very different conditions that i grew up in and they had a lot of trauma at very young ages the youngest was two months but she still suffers from a lot of trauma from those two months she lived and even in the womb so it's really like kind of where they started they started off on a really bad foot in life and it sucks because they had no control over that you know like they're literally kids and they just kind of had the choices of their parents um and so it was really it still to this day like I'm not gonna lie it's so hard like they are not easy kids now that they're teenagers and kind of growing personalities and um yeah just thinking about it I'm just like wow <laughs> I'm out of the house <laughs> but yeah they're really they're really tough kids they're not easy um just because of the background they're from you know was it uh was it your mom's decision to take him in your dad's decision did they make it together yeah well okay, it was actually a family decision so oh, interesting yeah we um my dad butt dialed my aunt one day and she was telling him one day that um Wait, he, he butt dialed yeah he aunt? butt dialed my aunt <laughs> this is how we got into this my dad butt dialed my aunt and my aunt was talking to the state about my cousins and they were my dad's niece's kids and um they at that time were all in separate foster homes and there were six there was five of them they were all in separate foster homes and so my mom was like talking about it and we fostered um one of my aunt's kids when she was in jail um when i was young in the trailer park actually and um so she butt dialed him and we like had a conversation and then my parents are like my mom's like all right let's do this and then my dad's like okay like i'm down about it and then my parents came and talked to us that night and we're like all right this is what's gonna happen like or do we want to do this like we kind of looked at it as the perspective of us four kids we were super close we kind of looked at it as a perspective of like what if we got separated and like we didn't live together that's that's basically the whole reason we wanted to keep them together like knowing people and having faith in them and like my mom to the day, she's like was it a good idea because they're just hellions <laughs> and they just like kind of fuel off of each other um so yeah that's it was it was a family decision um for sure it was a it was a long process, but oh, that's amazing to even have that perspective. As you said, you were what thirteen, twelve at the time. Yeah, twelve, thirteen. Mm-hmm. To even think that if you guys were separated, you'd want someone to take yeah in as well. That suck. That's that's awesome. Let's get into your personal story. Personal story. A yeah. little bit. How did how did your parents raise you? Um, so we were active members of the church growing up. Um. Like I said, church attendance and church activities were mandatory in my house. However, church was very social for us. Um, doctrine wasn't really taught in the home, kind of at the rigor that I wanted it, I guess. Um, I talk with my brothers, and they're like, we were too religious. And I'm like, whoa, that's not. So it's a different <laughs> perspective according, according to which sibling you talk to. But um, we, we didn't really have a lot of FHEs, you know. I kind of, at a young age, even before we adopted the kids, was kind of like the head honcho of like getting spiritual stuff done Um, because, I don't know, I was very spiritual as a young kid. Like, I remember getting baptized. I just bawled my eyes out. And like, I saw pictures of me just like crying and everyone's like, why are you crying? I'm like, it's just so beautiful. And like, (laughs) um, 
So I was, I was super spiritual. I was really close with God at a very young age. Um, and I what, feel, what, sorry. Sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but where do you think that came from? I don't know. I mean, know, I don't, man. when I was eight years old and I was baptized, the one thing I remember about that day is I came out of the water coughing because I swallowed water. That's literally it. So no. where does, where does that, where does that come from for you as an eight year old to be able to think back and, and recognize the, the specialness and the sacredness of the ordinance itself and yeah. and your spirituality as such a young girl. I think I think my mom. I think um, my mom kind of went through a really tough time when she was like a young woman getting into adulthood. Um, and she she's to this day she's like, Braylon, nothing has helped me more than the gospel. Like God will always have your back, and like if you don't do what He says, like He won't have your back. Like He doesn't have to have your back is what I should say. He will have your back because he is merciful, but like he doesn't have to have your back, but he does because he loves you. And so I think I was just always backed up by that. And my mom, my mom's very spiritual in the fact that like she has a lot of faith in God and his miracles and what he can do for her um, and just the church in general. So I think that, I think it came from my mom, but I also think it's like a talent gift that I have. I don't know. I just... It sounds stupid, but I love God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that's stupid. <laughs> I don't think that sounds stupid. <laughs> so what was what was it like in your home when it came to scripture study and things like that? Was oh, it yeah. non-existent or? You know, it was um, rarely put forth the effort. And like I said, I was kind of the one who had to do FHEs and plan them and stuff because my mom kind of wanted my dad to assume that role. My dad wasn't really down to assume that role. So I was like, all right, let me be the peacemaker of the house and let me just do it, you know? Um, so there would be times where we were like, jumpstart, like, let's go. Um, but there were other times that, and my brothers too, um, especially my older brother above me, Broderick, when we were in high school, we were a little more um, spiritual than, then we practiced at home, if that makes sense. And spirituality is very kind of, I don't want to say on the down low, but like I wouldn't talk to my mom openly about spiritual things, even to this day, you know, even like coming back from a mission and stuff. Like my family knows nothing about my mission. And it's just like, I feel like spiritual conversations don't really happen in my house. And if they do, they're kind of like demeaning or degrading. And like, I don't think it's in like an evil intention way, but I think it's more of like, like what you're better than me kind of thing i don't know maybe that's just how i perceive it but yeah it's like spiritual conversations aren't really had and so like when big things in throughout my life and my family's life and like with my brothers and stuff when big things happened it kind of it's not hush hush but no one talks about it you know like we could talk about it very openly because we're all super extroverted but we just don't even to this day i'm a super open person but like when i go home I'm super open still, but like if there's like, like it's just not the topic of conversation. Yeah, it's just yeah. not, which is weird to me. Like if someone sees my family, they wouldn't think that, but it is. Interesting, interesting. So you said like going to church, um, young women's activities were all mandatory. What kind of role did your church leaders, young women's leaders, play in your life? Oh, uh, there's a, a reason I'm strong in the church today. There's absolutely no other reason, um, other than them and their faith and their kind of like desire to get me to go. Like I remember like being in like ward council or something like two years ago and we were talking about like 
like getting people to come to church, et cetera, right? And I just always pictured, I don't know if this was actually a conversation or a council had, but I was pictured people were having those conversations about our family and not that we were inactive, but it was more of like, how can we strengthen this family? Um, especially, I think that conversation happened when we got sealed as a family. Um, that was really beautiful, but um, I was six. And so it was, it was, it was amazing. Um, so I think that they are the only reason I'm an active member, one, and two, why I'm passionate about the gospel and why I've learned doctrinal things and why I've kind of had the desire to be scripturally sound was through my young women's leaders. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Testifies to the power of, of leaders. Callings. Callings. Do them. <laughs> Magnify them. <laughs> so I know you served a mission. I did. Was that always the plan? No, negative. <laughs> I would have rather died. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about serving a mission like ever. So when I, um, so I, after graduating high school, I went to um, Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. And I went there for two years. Then I went on my mission. And then I came back from my mission. And I went there for a year. And then I transferred up here. And uh, my first year, like, not going to lie, not a lot of people know this. Like, so my mom hears this. She's going to be really surprised. But my first year, I, um, like, I knew the institute was there. I knew about church. I knew, like, that area but i didn't want to get into it because i knew if i like went to church i was gonna like latch on to it and i was like gonna find friends and then like i couldn't do what i wanted to do right and so i kind of like distanced myself and like there were friends who were like Brilliant, like you should come to this and i'm like no like i'm busy or whatever and so i kind of found this other group of friends like on my college um floor and we like super 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 close and so i was like partying and hanging out with them and stuff and it wasn't that I was like anti-church or anything. I just was like, I just wanted to do my own thing, kind of. Was it the was it the freedom that you never I, had yeah, as a I child? I feel like it was freedom. Yeah, I mean, my mom's like super controlling, right? Mm -hmm. But I think, but and and I love church. So there was nothing against doctrine. There was nothing against church. Like I loved church even when I was going to parties. Like I was like, shoot, I gotta go to church in the morning. But I'm like, I'm but not you going never to experienced that as a kid. Yeah, that, never. That, even the option of not going to church. Oh yeah, we would die if we decided <laughs> not to. Um, and so I was just like, all right, let's like go crazy, right? And then there was like this girl, and I went to volleyball because I love volleyball. And yeah, that just did it for me. Then I just found my group of friends, and you I was went like, crazy, freak. Yeah, got crazy, <laughs> obsessed, and into church. And that there was no looking back. <laughs> What was what was the catalyst for you getting back into it? Was it a was it a yearning of of meaning in your life or was Yeah. So, okay, so one experience that I had um so I'm I was a biology major starting off at NAU and I, then I switched to a chemistry major then I went back. So, whatever. Um <laughs> You poor soul. <laughs> <laughs> um so I went to like uh, there was this one biology class and gosh, this professor was psycho, but he loved me. He thought it was so funny and I just loved that. Um, but <laughs> he was so hard. He was like such a tough professor and I was like freaking busting my butt to do well in this class. And I just studied so much and my parents didn't go to college. So like my mom went to college after when I was young, but like I didn't really understand the concept of college and like the fact that like studying is way different than high school and like you actually have to do work like that I didn't understand that and so um I I was busting my butt studying whatever had study groups the whole nine 
and like just freaking bomb two exams in a row and i hated it and is it still on yeah we're okay. good um and i i just completely failed one exam so i was walking back from to my dorm and just called my dad and i was just crying because i was like dad i did everything i can blah, blah, blah. so i get back to my dorm and i think it's the first time i like prayed in months but i like just go to my dorm bed i remember this so clearly and i just like am on my unmade bed looking super gross and like kind of on my knees and i'm just like yelling at god like literally i didn't start anywhere i was just like i don't understand why i'm failing i'm trying so hard i'm doing everything i can just straight up screaming and crying bawling my eyes out and then when i finished like immediately it was like you need to get right with me and that was my i knew exactly what that meant like literally the second it yeah. came out i was like well i know exactly what that means that means i need to go to church that means i need to start telling my scripture so the next day i don't know why but i had to preach my gospel on my bookshelf <laughs> <laughs> and opened up my preach my gospel and there's a part and it's like the first chapter it says um as you begin to understand the atonement of jesus christ your desire to share it with others will work or will will increase is what it said and so one of the first paragraphs in chapter one yeah so reading that i literally was like i'm going on a mission like who, who thinks about that <laughs> can we just can we just make a quick side note right now about coincidences yeah seriously your aunt butt dialing your dad yeah and taking your cousins in mm-hmm. become your siblings yep for some reason, you have a preach my gospel on your bookshelf. Yep. When you have your come to Jesus moment in in mm-hmm. college. Yep. And I, why did I bring a preach my gospel to college? I was never considering a mission. Maybe subconsciously you were planning on going on a mission. And you didn't even know it. <laughs> I think someone placed it in my room. <laughs> to be honest. But no, that was that was the turn. That was like literally the next Sunday. I feel like that was a Friday. And the next Sunday, I went to church and talked to my bishop, and I was like. Let's start my mission papers. Didn't the tell next, my mom. The next Sunday. Yeah. You're talking a week after. No, like two days. <laughs> <laughs> Friday, Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I didn't tell my mom until I needed to get to the point of something she had to do to start to do my mission papers. Like she didn't know the whole time. She was not excited that I was going on a mission, but I did it. <laughs> so you don't, you don't seem I like. I like my mother. <laughs> You don't seem like someone that, that hesitates when you make a decision. Oh, no. I, when I, Especially, especially when it comes to the Lord. I, like, he tells me something and, like, oh, I have to do it. Like, I, I can't not do it, you know? It might take a while, okay? It might take maybe a year and a half or two years. But I'll do it eventually. So. If, if you guys could see Bray right now, she is going, I'll praise Jesus. I do. Hand, hand symbols. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's that's there's something to be said as well about hitting that low point. Yeah. In college, even if it is something as temporal as filling a test. I agree. And and remembering that you do actually have to rely on God for blessings, whether they be temporal or spiritual. Yeah, because like unfortunately, he cares about that stuff too. Like you might not care about like failing your test. Yeah, unfortunately, fortunately <laughs> enough, like he cares and you want him not to care because you don't really want him to tell you how to do it and what to do but i can tell you he's taught me more than any professor i've ever paid so and those moments of frustration are even if you're ticked off 
at God. Oh yeah. You're, you might be closer than you ever have been. Yeah. Cause you're going to him, you know, like that's what he asks for, but also like Christ in the garden. That's what he did. Yeah. He was so frustrated. He's like, I can't do this. Yeah. Like, there's no way I can do this. Yeah. And God's like, let's do it. He said, not my, that, but that I'd be done. And Christ did it. So we just have to have like that moment in the garden sometimes. Take a lesson from the life of Braylon and don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. When you feel that, that push back yeah. to God. Yep. Because only bad news if you don't do it. How did, how did your mission change your life at that point? Oh gosh. I love my mission. I served in Orem, Utah, speaking Spanish. Shout out to Orem. Shout We're here in Orem right Orem, now. Orem right here. I see <laughs> the YSA chapel I used to. Let's go. Um, but I, I love my mission. I think when I, so before I opened my call, I told the Lord, told him, I told, told him, him, you told him, I said, I don't care where I go. I don't care where I go. I just want to speak Spanish. And I don't really know why I think I just wanted to speak Spanish because I thought it was cool, but, um, it's a flex nowadays. Yeah, I'm it is high key flex. Pretty jealous. But he, and he knew I hated Utah. So that's what he said. <laughs> isn't that how it works yeah but i literally can't like literally physically i can't understand how other missions function doesn't make sense to me um but i love my mission um i was like full deep i was i remember like emailing one of my friend's moms and i was like i didn't think i was gonna like kind of be all in when i went on a mission she's like oh i totally knew she's like when you do it when you do something you do it hard like you love it you live it it's you and so you didn't think you were going to be all in when you decided to dedicate 18 yeah, months of your life i'm to not gonna lie i when i like like this thought went through my mind when i left the airport and i like said bye to my family i was like i don't know why like everyone's like upset i'm gonna be back in like a couple months i you didn't you didn't think you were gonna make it oh no are no. you serious yeah and my mom oh, we have she says we have like a mission curse on our family because my brother didn't go and then her dad didn't go, and so she's like, "You're you're just gonna come back, you know." Like my mom, <laughs> she has an elbow, but she did believe in me. She loves me. She sounds crazy. Like telling, like saying this out loud, it sounds like she's she is she's crazy. But, um, yeah, loved my mission. My mission president. If my mission president wasn't my mission president, I would have left easily. Did you ever have the thought of leaving while you're on your mission? Yeah, I did. Was it serious? It um or it was, was it was it an empty threat? Um oh. I don't know. I don't know if it was an empty threat. I feel like I really didn't have the balls to actually go home for the soul of that. <laughs> Aaron, you said I could be myself, okay? <laughs> this is myself. Um for the soul fact of like I I don't know. I kind of like the challenge of like finishing something, right? But can I get into it? Of course. Um so the one time it was so I went to the Mexico MTC and then I went to came to Utah February 2019 and I had my trainer, she was amazing, Hermana Lori from Chile and um I about two or three weeks in sorry I'm like itching my ear two or three weeks into my um like serving in Orem 
Um, on P-Day, I get a call from my mother and, um, she tells me something that's happened to my family. And like I said, I'm like the second mother. So hearing this news was not easy at all. Super tough. Um, but she told me that my sister, my little sister, um, one of your cousins, right? One of my cousins that we adopted. Yeah. Um, she was sexually abused by her brother, her older brother. And that was like, oh, I can't tell you how much like guilt I felt for being on a mission. You were that. you were tight with this sister, right? Well, she, there's only us. There's eight boys and me She's and her. She's pretty much your daughter. Yeah. Right? And so like when I left for college, it was super traumatizing for her. And anytime I'd come back home during college, she's like, why'd you leave me? You know, kind of thing. And then when I left for my mission, I just like could just picture that. She's like, why? Why did you leave me? And that was like the only thought I had for weeks. I was just like, I left my little sister and this happened, you know, like at that moment I was like, all right, I'm done. Like, let's go get me in a car. Let's go to Arizona. And like, I'm going to take my sister. I'm going to be done with school, like scholarship adios out the window. I'm going to take care of my sister. I'm going to work full time. I'm going to put her in school and I'm just going to raise her by myself. You know, I just, I, I just had that thought and I was like, cause I can, I can take her out of the situation because yeah, that's yeah, what she needs. Absolutely. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was, it was really tough actually. Not until I had new companions. So it was at least, so this was my third, no fourth transfer what, actually. What, what made you stay out at that time? Like right after you heard the news, like what was, I mean, you just said you felt the desire to come home and, and take her under your wing. Yeah. So it was my mom. My mom said, stay out there. Cause I was like, mom, I'm coming home. Why did, why'd she say that? And she said, you will do better. You will do more for us as a family on your mission than you can here. And I think she was talking more of the blessings that they received while on, while I was on my mission and that like my family having a missionary out and um like that was super powerful to me you know did you believe her um i did yeah i that's the only reason i stayed because if my mom didn't say that i would have come home but i knew that if i wanted to do anything for my family i should have just i the lord can and that's what my mission president told me he said the lord can do more than for your family than you can do for your family and I believed it wholeheartedly. I said, and I had a really frank conversation with the Lord. I said, hey, I'm out here serving your people and I'm giving freaking 150%. I need you to take care of my family. And it's not that like I thought that I could actually do it myself, but um, it was just the fact that like I was the, I, my parents, my family's very reliant on me emotionally and sometimes physically. Um, and so I just thought like they're not, here like just i just had to put it in the lord's hands um and so that's why i stayed but i can't imagine going home honestly there are so many people that i wouldn't have met there's so many experiences and i probably wouldn't be the same person today if i went home early um just because of just all the experiences i've had they're super powerful yeah i mean it's the fact that that situation is completely out of your control at that point. I mean, you're up here in Utah. Yeah. Your family's going through crap yeah. down in, down in Arizona. It was tough. It was tough just because like even the law couldn't do any, anything. And that's what I hated the most. Yeah. Like the people who I 
like was like okay you know i don't know about my mom like i don't know what she can do with the situation but like i was thinking the law could help and they couldn't just because she couldn't explain what happened to her and she was five at the time um and we don't know how many times it happened et cetera, et cetera. but um like not even the law could help her because they said well she didn't say anything we did a forensic exam et cetera, et cetera. but it's like she will never get that back and even to this day like like going home and like seeing her and stuff like i'll try and talk to her about it to try and see and like record her say something but she just won't still nothing i think she doesn't understand it you know it's like she's so young and her body's so little and yeah like all these changes are happening with her and she just doesn't understand but she also doesn't understand what that was at the time so um yeah it's kind of hard and that that being that young subject of of sexual abuse mm-hmm. hit home harder to you than it probably would have another person yeah which made it even harder for sure because it's my own sister yeah um yeah but go back a little bit and maybe talk about why why this is such an important topic to you where yeah. does where does it where does it all start mm-hmm so actually it starts from right after my mission um i was going back to college at nau and i was really struggling leaving my sister again because i just did not have trust or hope i mean she had all these counselors and stuff and really going through it both of them but um he was still in the home and so i was very like what do i do my sister right so i was talking to this one guy from the stake who's a lawyer talked to him about all my options um and then i just decided i needed to go to therapy um because i was like i can't i can't keep doing this right um and so i went to therapy with this whole literally the reason i was going was to like not feel this like guilt and this like pressure of what happened to my sister was my fault you know and like literally that was that was why i went to therapy that was the purpose yeah um that was addressed maybe once (laughs) right (laughs) i had no clue all of like the crap that is just so deep in my my aura and who i am i had no clue um that either they were traumatizing or they shaped me to be who I am or I say things a certain way or act a certain way. There was a huge thing. Like I had no clue. I know this sounds so stupid saying out loud, but I had no clue. I think three sessions we spent alone on hair, 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 like what the heck hair? Like why are you having therapy about hair? But it was really big in my identity as a black woman and my mom being white that was huge mm-hmm. in like who I am and how I perceive myself, right? And so throughout this whole therapy session or this therapy process, um, I kind of, I had this very, I was super close with the Lord at this time. I had this really big revelatory experience. Um, and it basically, and this is the first time ever any of this like kind of crossed my mind in this way. And the whole revelatory experience is I was basically the Lord was telling me the reason why this is so tough for you, like hearing this about your little sister is because it happened to you. And I didn't understand that. Right. But it was kind of like 
I don't know. I just kind of felt like I wasn't even on earth, which kind of sounds stupid. But um, he was kind of like teaching me about and very subtly, like over and then I want to say like a week's man, honestly, um, about all the sexual abuse that I received. And so going back to that, I there were there were so I was sexually abused for four different times in my life. And I didn't know that I, I not that I didn't know what happened to me. I didn't understand that. That's what that's what sexual abuse was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not ever that word never crossed my mind of those instances. And it was more of like a fact of it was when I okay so the first instance um that I remember I was um six and it was with our neighbor and um I kind of just like put the guilt on myself right it was kind of like I'm doing this like I'm breaking the law of chastity I'm doing this how how old was he um okay I was seven he was six I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even then, I felt like, okay, this is me, especially because I'm older. Um, but he'd say things like, I'll tell my parents like that you're doing this if you, if you say anything kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? So I was really coerced into it. But I also was like, didn't want to do any of it. Like, I hated it. And I just like hated going over there. And his, my best friend was his, um, my best friend was his sister. So I was over there literally all the time. Um, and... Um, that, so from, from that situation, I went to the bishop 13 years later to tell him about that. Well, what do you, what do you think you understood at the time that that happened when you're seven years old? Like, what was, what was that to you? I mean, you, you mentioned you felt like you broke the law of chastity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what did, what did you understand about sexuality as a seven-year-old? Yeah. Besides what happened in that instance well i think that's the only thing i understood about it at that time that um was that experience itself was that experience yeah that was the first one that i remember and i'll get into that later seven years old Uh uh-huh and it was very like coercive and like you know obviously like watching disney movies and like romantic movies and stuff you kind of get this idea of sex and what it's supposed to be in love and i didn't feel that with that and so i didn't understand what this was you know i didn't really kind of put them together um and so that happened for i want to say about six months to a year consistently yeah yeah i was at their house all the time um and i hated it i felt so much like shame and i don't know i just felt like very i needed to like I don't know, I just felt gross. You know, I felt gross all the time. And this was before I was eight, right? This was before I was baptized. Um, and it took me 13 years to go and talk to the bishop about it. Um, there was another, in- so that was a consistent instance. Another instance was I was, I want to think I was younger than that, but I don't really remember the ages very well. I was so young. And nobody, nobody knows about it from my family to this day, um, about these two instances and just like my friends and people I talk to, which is kind of like this crazy that I'm kind of saying this like recorded. Um, but 
the other instance was this one guy he was on my dad's football team he played football with my brothers and we were young i i was probably younger than six or i was a little older than six it was before i was eight um and he it was just a one-time thing and i was like don't i don't i don't like that he just kept doing it and it was just like a one one day type thing and i was just like all right fabulous um and he was older than me i think he was about 12 or 13 um and then how do you feel like that affected your the your perception of yourself as a human well yeah for sure it affected it affects your it affects your psyche like you wouldn't even believe um and i think that i didn't realize that obviously right i just kind of had this really bad self-confidence issue and i just always kind of related it to the way people talk about me the way i see myself in the mirror etc right um but i think a lot of it was rooted from like being taken advantage of that young and just kind of like you are just a body to somebody as an object yeah and that was just something i didn't understand obviously at that age and now that i'm 22 i kind of over time think about it and talk about it and it's and I completely share my story for the sole fact of like it helps me it helps me like recuperate and understand kind of what happened to me and how I take it nowadays you know um and that I'm not that and I don't need to think like that and so um yeah so that was the second issue like I said I don't know the order um but then the third issue that I remember was um I was out of the house. I was in college and I was back in Tempe um, working for the summer. And there was this one guy, he was a really close friendly friend. His dad was even a pastor or something like that. Um, And he took me out on a date. And you know, like at that, I was dating, I was 18 or 19. Um, and he took me out on a date and he was very gross. Like he was really like, like the way he talked about women and the way he talked about me, it was kind of like, you're taking me out on this date, but it's like, he's talking about these other women. Like they're like beautiful and great and stuff. And like, he just like talked about me. Like I was less than, and like from the start, I should have just been like, is, is this during your sabbatical from church and stuff? Is this when you were, um, no, no. I wasn't like super into it. Maybe I went to church. Yeah. I went to activities, but I don't know if I was like, like at that point, like reading my scriptures every day type of crazy, you know? (laughs) Um, Type of crazy. Yeah. I think it's crazy. (laughs) It's a lot of time. Um, But so he took me out on this date and it was more of like, it was really like, he was just a horrible human being. I was like, okay, whatever. And actually, I don't think I told you this before. My friends, were in their car outside while I went to this date because I didn't have a car at the time. And so I took my friend's car and then they were parked outside of Baskin Robbins just in the car, okay? Like there for you? Like, like Yeah, yeah. My friends make, were just like making outside. Making sure crap doesn't go down No, they just, they just wanted to make sure like <laughs> like how it went. Okay, like okay, okay. They're okay. like, you know, kind of like the movies. Right? Yeah, they were just yeah. like outside. Um, and then we go back in his car and he's like, do you want to like drive around? I was like, sure, right? Um, so then we go and he takes me to his office, which is in like the other side of Tempe. And my friends like followed us for a little bit. And then they like left, like they texted me. They're like, we're going to go home because we have to do something or whatever. Um, (laughs) I don't think he knew that my friends were following. 
Um, <laughs> Sounds so they, like a good group of friends, yeah, not going to lie. They were great. Um, and at this time, like, I haven't, I didn't have, like, a serious boyfriend or anything. And so, um, I didn't have a serious boyfriend, so I, I, I guess I don't really have, like, a kiss that I count, you know what I mean? So, like, I was really scared that he was going like, to kiss me, um, because I wasn't, like, really into him. Yeah. Um, and so then he takes me to this office, and then he just, like, and it, this situation, I think, was the most, like, rape that you think you know um it's very much like you told him no you like you explained your boundaries and he still did it and it was just like felt super violated and gross and like i just like felt like that was like why didn't i stop that right i was like gosh um but at the time again i broke the law of chastity like that that was my outlook no you're, one told you're taking me this full responsibility mm-hmm. no one ever told me or talked to me about this um situations because i never told anyone so this was all me like this wasn't god this wasn't the church this wasn't my parents this was all me like mm-hmm. i i take full responsibility of how i looked at this um and it was just i broke the law of chastity and i think like not that much longer later i kind of realized that instance in particular was rape faster than the other instances um and i told my older brother and that was a big moment for me and is this the first time you opened up to anyone yes i i think i might have told my friend but i think i i think i told my i told my other brother my older brother and like i said my family we don't talk about stuff like this yeah and he was a family friend that did this to me and my older brother was like, literally, like, I was in his car at the high school parking lot and we talked about it. And he was like, literally about to drive to his house and like, freaking beat him up. I, like, being an older brother myself. Yeah. And I, would, I feel I, that. I think he even talked to him about it. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but yeah. And, and that was the first time I ever talked about it. And then that was three years before I went to therapy and kind of had this like, beautiful awakening from the lord but like um literally the week after meeting that guy and that date and that situation i started dating this guy that i dated for like two and a half years and it was a great relationship great relationship some things i mean obviously traumatized me because there was crap that happened in that relationship too um but it was really my first time of like finding love seeing love and someone loving me for who i am instead of um objectification yeah, instead of me being like an, an object yeah and at that point like yeah i broke the law of chastity with him but it was like breaking the law of chastity but it was more of like love like like this is making love you know and 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 going through that repentance process the lord really worked with me in the fact that like all right we need to help you understand what love is and and who you are and what this connection is supposed to be in this soul searching like experience like why do we say this for after marriage um and and he really taught me in such a beautiful way because i my entire life had this like burden of like i've broken the law of chastity since i was six you know um and so it was very much i don't know how other people's experiences are when they break the law of chastity but mine was very much like beautiful like braylon we are gonna help you understand who you are you know and how, how i think that should be right repentance is beautiful to progress of exactly it's of not becoming it shouldn't be this like 
do this, do this. You it's can't not, do it's this. Not, it's not something that we need to be scared of. Yeah. And the Lord's so merciful and like beautiful in that entire process. And I was just, I was very, just thinking about back at, on it right now. He's so merciful in how he spoke to me and how he taught me about what it is. And so to this day, I'm 22 years old, dating here in Provo, Utah. I don't follow the law of chastity because President Nelson told me. Like, <laughs> he's a great guy. I, I follow him. Um, and I also don't follow the law of chastity because I made temple covenants, you know? Like, those are fabulous. Like, those play into why I follow. Those are good reasons. Yeah, they're not why I follow it. Um, because I follow because I understand love and making love and that connection is so beautiful and because it was taken away from me so many times it it I don't want it to happen with anybody until I have this like commitment for life with them you know eternity yeah eternity and that sounds crazy um like if like on the dating world, like if you say that to somebody that yeah. you're dating, yeah. it sounds crazy, but it's like because of what I've been through, mm-hmm. you know, and because of what happened to my sister mm-hmm. and even what happened to my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that I've seen so many times and something that I I want to save. I want to save for the next person. Absolutely. So, I mean, you talked about the guilt that you've had ever since you're six years old. Yeah. What role did that guilt play in the way you interacted with people growing up, was it something that you ever dwelled on? Was it something that you feel like held you back? For sure. No, yeah, a thousand percent. It was built up in me. Um, I'm even moved wards um, from the time it happened, and that's when I talked to the bishop about it the first time. 13 Um, years. 13 years. After it happened. After it happened. I was like... 16 i don't know the ages i'm sorry but it was 13 years i do remember that yeah um after after what first happened to me and um like i said talking to the bishop it none of this was the like how the bishop handled it was literally so beautiful because he's like you were six um but also it it wasn't an experience like i said like i'm taking full responsibility because this is how i I viewed myself as breaking the law of chastity. It wasn't these things were happening to me, right? Um, And I think something super important that I learned was that, like, you can only do so much. Like, you can only stop it. You can only say so many things. Sometimes you don't even, you can't say anything because you're so, like, flabbergasted that this is happening or that you're in this situation that you freeze. And that is not consent, you know? Like, I don't care what who you're dating if you're married you know what i mean um like and and i didn't understand that um and i don't i don't really know and i was like i was telling you earlier i don't really know why like what's the root like how can we prevent things like this happening um i was reading a book and i think it has great suggestions but i don't know particularly why i viewed it like that you know, I don't, I don't understand why I viewed these, that I was doing these things instead of these things happening to me. Um, but yeah. How did, how did that change your, when, when did the guilt start going away after you talked to your bishop? Literally the second 
after it came out of my mouth. Like I'm the, not, the confession. I itself. felt literally bricks off my back. Why? Um, because this was just this was literally the first time I was saying it out loud. Um, that I broke the law of chastity. Right? It wasn't even when I realized these things were happening to me that I was being manipulated and abused. Um, it was, don't know. It was just like, I think that was one of the times. And I think when I had that big revelatory experience after my mission was the time, like I never considered any of those on my mission, even after my mission until this huge revelatory experiences that I was sexually abused. Never said it out loud. Never even, you know, none of that until talking to my friend one day and she talked about her experience. And at that time, I um, was the Relief Society president in the ward. And there were so many women. Like, literally, at, when I came to that, like, kind of the Lord revealed that to me, that I was sexually abused and that this wasn't my fault. Um, it was like a magnet. Like, I never, like, I, I only, like, told one person at this time. Everyone was just, like, coming and talking to me about it and and just... I just started sharing my experience super openly. Um, like everybody in my institute, all my friends, like my friends really know I love talking about sex just because I think we should be <laughs> open about it um, because of stuff like this, you know, because and I think that's why I kind of have this mentality and this attitude is because I why? Why? Like this is such a beautiful gift that we're given and like we don't talk about it. The second someone says chastity in church, like people look down. Yeah. Like I'm not, I, I used to be this person. People look down. The energy in the room drops. It changes. Immediately. <laughs> and it's like, it just, I, it, it, that I think alone is the reason why the, it's kind of an epidemic of an issue. Like I it's, said, it's like, shame. It's that, shame. That looking down at the floor when the word chastity comes up is shame. Shame. That that's perfect. That's literally perfect because, um, when I was released, like I said, like 20 girls came to me and shared their same experiences about being sexually abused. And I don't remember all the stories, and obviously I'm not going to share them, but um, they weren't necessarily all members of the church that sexually abused them. They weren't, some of them were, some of them were older. Like, you know what I mean? It's just such an epidemic of an issue that, like, these girls are holding on, you know? And they either don't feel comfortable talking about it with their parents like I didn't. Um, but also it's, I think we need to create that space for people to be able to talk about it. And I think that goes for men as well. Um, even if they did the act of sexually abusing, you know, like I'm not shaming them, you know, I think they have probably a ton of issues going on in their brain and probably have porn addictions and sex addictions, you know? And it's like, okay, like let's fix and it. Addiction itself is a mental illness. Yeah. Like that's, that's not, and even in your instances, like the fact that you were abused by, as a six-year-old, by someone around your same age, mm -hmm. yep, shows he doesn't know any more than you do. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't understand any more than you do. And I don't even know if, like, like I said, to this day, I don't think I don't think he knows or considers that as sexual abuse. You know, he was how old? Yeah. Um, but he also didn't understand what consent was and he didn't understand but he also understood at a very young age how to manipulate like exactly you know and where does that come from it's 
he's six. He's under the age of accountability, but he's also like, where do you learn that from? Probably from his parents, probably from outside. Maybe like TV TV and movies. movies, you know? Song lyrics. Yeah. Like rappers. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like the amount of like how it's just so normalized to just take advantage of women, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a society, we're getting better for sure. Um, but I think why I'm so passionate about talking about it specifically with like members of the church is because we have literally the best tool in the world and it's the atonement. And we should never ever have to feel that shame or like less than or anything because like Christ understands. And I think that is kind of like, like full circle goes back to when I read that as before going on my mission, that when you understand the atonement, when you learn about it, your desire to share it increases. And that's exactly why I think I talk about it because it's like, let's all experience the atonement. Preach it, Bray. Preach it. Let's all do it. (laughs) Like, I, I don't understand why, like we talk about it so vaguely at church, but let's apply, you know, I'm all about application because I'm so done with just, talking about it at surface level, right? Like, let's have to-do lists, let's have checklists, let's do it, and let's change how we think, and let's repent as a community. Everyone, let's repent, because President Nelson said, repenting is changing the way you think, the way you are, the way you breathe. Let's do it, because you think who you are and how you are is very normal. However, you can change that in an instant with the atonement and with Christ. And so I think we really take that word, the atonement, very like figuratively, and it's like beautiful, right? And I think, I think if you don't, if you haven't had an experience with it, like a real hard, fast, like let's struggle and let's be better and let's do this with Christ, then you won't understand how to use it. Exactly. And I think we don't talk about that enough in church, in in, in settings in general. Um, we're very vague about it, mm-hmm. right? And it's because, yes, things need to be personal, but also we need to talk about our struggles. Like, I love, like, for general conference or, like, state conference or something, like, our leaders talk about, like, their struggles in their life and, and like, the things that they struggle with personally and as a family, you know? Not in this vague, like, we've really struggled as a family, but, like, get into it. Because let's be vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, if we are one body of Christ, we need to be vulnerable together. Mm-hmm. If we're all going to be resurrected at the same time or the next time or whatever, we need to be together, like, one body of Christ. Exactly. And I think that's what we're missing. So when you think back on your own personal experience, what were what were the steps that changed your perception of yourself. You're a different person today than you were. Oh yeah. Before you talked to your bishop, For before sure. you went on a mission. Yeah. Before you started this journey of wanting to help others. Yeah. How did how did how specifically did the atonement change your heart, change your perspective? Um I think it's important to say that this literally has been a process of over 16 years. Exactly. Um, it does, does not happen overnight. No. And I think like, I, I mean, I think this is, this could be a reason why, but it's like, if you mess up before you like serve a mission, right. You kind of have this like timeline of when you need to repent. Right. And, 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 you know, some people do it, you know, like, um, learning from this, I, the Lord kind of, and I just wrote this in my phone today at church. 
the Lord doesn't allow me to take long to repent or change. Um, if it's like a big thing, you know, like he doesn't allow me to like, oh, let me think about it. You know, and, and that's just me personally. But like, like, let me think about it. Let me try and like really understand how I understand this doctrine. Right. Like this happened to me like not even that long ago. No, he's like, you know, this crap. I know you know it and you know, you know it. So let's do this. You know, like how, do you, how do you apply it? <sighs> you need to delve in the scriptures. If you're not diving in the scriptures during your repentance time, the Lord can't talk to you. And and there's very, I would say, eight times out of ten, I'm like diving into the scriptures and I read a verse or two verses and I start to expound on that verse. And then I just, because I, I have to type out or text out what I'm thinking or else I won't be learning. I'll just be stagnant reading words, right? Um, and I'll just go ham and I'll start from the scripture and then I'll just go somewhere completely different. And the Lord will guide that kind of thought process and writing that thought process down has been so helpful in like healing, healing your brain and your psyche and how you see things. Um, and, and that's how I do it. I don't know how other people do it, but I, that's how I do it. I have to, I, if there's like, I'm down, really down spiritually one day, I have to just delve it out and I just have to like, just type it out. No one talk to me, like just gotta, you know, and it literally changes how I think and changes how I think about the situation because there's nobody else like inferring their ideas or thoughts. It's just the Lord telling me, this is like, how are you thinking about it? You know, he's kind of having a conversation with me. He's like, all right, let's talk about this, you know? And I think that's important to note that the Lord doesn't just want us to pray to him just to pray to him. It's, it's more of like a, all right, we're praying about this. However, I want to know, like, don't, <laughs> we said this in release society. Don't lie to me. When, <laughs> when, you, when we pray to the Lord, don't let's not lie to him. Let's not say, I'm so thankful for this, like <laughs> this challenge in my life like no if you hate it tell him Um, you know it goes back to your that original feeling of frustration that you had like that openness yeah that openness because it's like when you're upset like with your spouse or with your boyfriend or like with your best friend you're not gonna just be there like well i mean at least that's not how we handle things in my family or (laughs) that's how i i don't handle things i'm like i'm upset because of this yeah right let's talk about it and we kind of gain trust, right? Like, if we're constantly lying to the Lord about how we feel about a situation, like, he can't be able to trust us because that's not really how we, how we feel. Because he knows how we feel. Yeah, he knows. He exactly. knows how we feel. And we're telling him a certain thing. Uh-huh. There's no progress. That's not going to help us change and repent and work with the Lord, right? It's supposed to be a struggle. Like, in that one scripture, it talks about, like, let's battle and... Ugh, I'll have to look it up, but um, <laughs> let's battle. That's, that's what repentance is. It's like let's struggle. I think it's Alma who talks about it, but yeah. Well, I, don't know I think if I answered your question. Well, but. you touched on something really important there. The fact that I mean, you said change your thought process over and over again. I was talking to a friend just last night about the fact that the atonement of our Savior not only does it heal our spiritual lives. But there's actually a physiological change that that occurs when you go through the repentance process. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And it comes from the sole fact of that light of Christ. 
like when you don't have it you don't have it and people notice it like literally people notice it i know when i'm like down spiritually people are like brilliant like there's something off mm-hmm. like what is going on mm-hmm. you know and i haven't told anyone like this is just all in my brain and with god right i haven't told anyone and so it's like it's literally a physique thing that people can see this light and they can see it exude from your body um and when you don't have it you don't have it and that's why i think nowadays i can kind of feel when someone in this instance has happened a couple times and i think it's the lord helping me kind of discern um but i can feel when someone is like i don't want to say like i know for a fact they're a sexual abuser but i can feel kind of when i shouldn't like when this person isn't a good person or when this person isn't like you know someone you should probably hang around or like talk connect with you know like you probably shouldn't i love connecting with people i'll connect with a stranger <laughs> on the street and so i think it's more of like a like a guard like don't connect with this person like a sketchy guy at the gas station like you know, like it's really nice, Braylon, if you talk about how you like a shirt, but just don't do it, you know? Well, that's one of the jobs of the Holy Ghost is to protect, right? Yeah, yeah, and discern. The mm-hmm. Lord really helps you discern as well. So looking back, I want to ask you this question about, about who you are. Who who were you when you were 15 years old, and who are you now Yeah. after, after going through this? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a different person. I definitely... Um, learn from it and, and am a better person, but I'm a more confident person and I'm not confident in myself for whatsoever, but I'm confident that I will choose the Lord. I'm also confident that the Lord will help me, but I'm confident in myself in the fact that like I can do hard things. First of all, I can get through hard things and I can repent. Um, I also think that I am, I think the reason why I'm so open with people other than my family about this situation um, is because that's the change that happened in me and not, I want other people to understand that that can happen to them as well. You know, like I'm not trying to be this like motivational, like let's change the world type of person, but too late you are. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was a tough time that I didn't understand that there were so many people going through that. And I think that's why I talk about it so openly so that people who are like, literally like, I'm the only one going through this, you know, like we were talking about this the other day, how many people like struggle with a pornography addiction yet in that moment, you feel so alone. You feel like you're the only one ever going through this, right? We all have different experiences, but there's people out there that can help you and that kind of have, have thought about it in a different way you have. And let's learn from them. Right. And I think that's, Literally, I think that was maybe about 45% of the atonement process for me. I was talking to other people and not even members of the church. Like, I had a roommate in Flagstaff. She was anti as crap. Hated the church. But I healed so much with her. She is my best friend to this day because she's helped me so much just understand who I am as a person. And, And I think we as members of the church think that only good people can come from the church. Like if you are anti, you're a horrible person. And I'm here to say that is nothing further from the truth. I learned so much from her about who I am as a daughter of God, about who I am as a woman and specifically a black woman. She's not black, but she helped me understand that. You know what I mean? I think 
talking to having that dialogue with other people not having it in secrecy i think if i didn't have it in secrecy for 16 plus years i think i wouldn't have had as much difficulty getting through it than i did Mm -hmm. so where would you be right now if it wasn't for opening up um yeah who freaking knows because i don't i probably would have been a freaking stripper or uh you know i i don't know aaron honestly i think i would have had this kind of thought of of who i need to be and kind of compensate for that right because i needed to chase after these men or something right and like gross can't stand men <laughs> that was a big struggle Aaron. not gonna lie that's fair i kind of had this fair. i hate men mentality and and i think that was part of my atonement process and i think it's still something i'm going through is the lord is helping me to not kind of assume that every single man in my life mm-hmm. has gone through this or who does this or who's not empathetic or who just takes advantage you know what i mean um well, we can't we can't understate the effects of childhood trauma, especially yeah. in a sexual sense. There's for sure. Whether or not you realize it, your your body keeps the score. Like that's yeah, that's hard. There's, yeah. there's no there's no quantifying mm-hmm. how much yeah. you actually go through even and, today. And I guess the thing is too. I want to like kind of go back on my stripper statement. <laughs> you can't kind of tell people how to go through this if that makes sense there's so many people who have been through this and they deal with it in different ways i am super lucky that i had the gospel to turn to and i understood that that was there for me there's so many people who don't and so like judging not even judging like you know that's like like kind of yeah i guess judging how people repent and how people go through tra- trauma is very difficult as a society. But it needs to happen. We need to give grace to everybody. And we need to give that mercy to everyone. Because, like, you don't know if you were in that same situation, if you would have handled it mm-hmm. how they did. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the beautiful thing is when the Savior comes, we'll all be able to have this beautiful kind of like, wow, this happened to me. Wow, I can do this, you know? Um, because the gospel was the answer for me, but it's not the beginning answer for everybody. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you base your identity in now as, as a 22 year old, as a 22 going year old to college boss. as yeah. a boss, you're a beast, Braylon. Yeah. What is, what is your identity based? <laughs> that was a hair flip, by the way. That's why she said she's kidding. <laughs> what's, what, what do you, who are you? Like, what's your, what's your identity based on? What's my identity based on? Um, wow. Aaron, I don't really know. Like, I'm going to let you know. I'm kind of stumped on that one. What is my identity based off of? I think it's obviously something I'm going through every day that I'm trying to figure out what my identity is. But I'm a daughter of God. And I... And you believe that you're a daughter of God. Yeah. And I what, believe that I'm a freaking princess. Yeah, yeah. And that I'll be say, a freaking queen. What is what does that mean to your life? That yeah. you are a daughter of God. Yeah, yeah. I like that you expanded on that because I think we overuse that. I'm a daughter of God. We're all daughters of God. Yes, we are. What does that freaking mean? That means that you have a divine entity within you constantly that you can tap into whenever you need help. What does that mean about your value and your worth? I think it helps you understand that like you're not worthless. 
you're not worthless. The like, word tells you the world tells you you are. Yeah. And they tell you you are in a really messed up way because it's like if you fit this type of mold you're not but if you don't you are but even if you do fit that mold you're not this type of mold you know what i mean like you have to become someone like why do we always have to identify as like i'm this i'm this i'm this like what the freak but you're a daughter of god and you mean it when you say that yeah because you got to because if not i feel like you're saying it in vain sorry but you know what i mean like we can't just say things that are empty. We have to have meaning behind them. We have to actually believe them and live them and do them. So I think that's my identity identity, and how I live my life. But it's also like, I don't know. We just have to be vulnerable, guys. We got to freaking use Christ. He's there. And, like, if you don't know who Christ is and if you are not on the freaking, like, Christian train, don't, like, discover. Discover what you want to be on, you know? Um, I think we're so, like, one-track-minded. And, like, we're not all going to get there in this life. And that is okay because we don't need to, like, be the saviors. We already have one, and we just need to accept him. Accept the help. So as, as, we, as we wrap this up, I have... Two more questions. <laughs> what What do you do nowadays when when you're feeling low? When you When you reflect back on it, do you ever? I guess what I'm trying to ask is is what role does regret play in your life right now, and how do you overcome the lows hmm. when you think back on where you're from when those feelings resurface? Yeah. How do you how do you go day to day about that? Because every single person that's been through trauma before, it doesn't just end once you feel like you've repented or you've applied the atonement of Christ in your life. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, Whew. I haven't thought about that. Um, I don't really think I regret anything. Yeah, that's fair. Um, just because I've already kind of looked at it as an aspect of I've learned from it. Mm-hmm in a way that I don't think I could have learned in another way, you know? Um, so I don't regret anything, but because I can't control it, right? Yeah, what does regret exactly, do? Exactly. Um, I can't control what I did or what happened to me or anything, but I think I do kind of, hmm, I'm not, I think when I do get into this mentality I kind of have to go back to, first of all, the people around me who've been such a great support. Connection. Connection. If you don't have those human connections in very tough areas of your life and opening up and being vulnerable, it's going to be almost impossible to get through it mm-hmm. because that's I, the Lord wants you to connect with people. Um, cliche, once again scriptures but delve that's what i think i'm gonna use, call it from use now. the scriptures don't just read the scriptures yeah like delve into those suckers because you know history repeats itself and like my experience i really relate to dinah i think her name is in the old testament mm-hmm. she her gosh i want to say they don't talk about her rarely enough but her tenacity and also her the love that her brothers had and 
learning from that experience and the fact of I'm not alone, first of all, not even in this city, yet alone this country, let alone humanity. Um, so not like having this mentality of I'm alone, I'm lonely, mm-hmm. I'm the only one going through this because mm-hmm. there's a thousand percent someone else going through it. And you going through it is valid and your, your experience is recognized and it's important and it's individual, but it's also not the only way that you have to kind of go through it you know like let's let's battle i'm all about the struggle like let's struggle before we get the the reward right repentance is a joy but it is not easy no it it shouldn't be that doesn't make any sense if it was like nobody would want to do it you know um if it wasn't this like satisfying kind of thing you know it's it's an accomplishment in a way. Yeah, I agree. Oof. Heavy. That's powerful. No, that's powerful. That was good. That was good. Someone get us on this podcast. <laughs> so, Bray, to wrap things up, I mean, we've talked about so many things, and I think, honestly, what you just said, the, the struggle of, of repentance and the struggle of change is so worth it. But mm-hmm. what what do you want to bring to the light with your own story? What do I want to bring into the light with my own story? I want to bring into the light that, um, oh, I wish I would have like an answer that I prepared for this. Um, you'll you'll be on this podcast again. You're a co-host. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we can go back. Everyone's to it, gonna be sick of my story off, by the end of it. Listen to it. <laughs> off the top of your head, what do you? Off want the top to? of my head, I think I want to bring into the light. Um. You're not alone. And let's talk about it. You know, like, let's be vulnerable. Um, I think another thing is as a church, as a community, as a ward, as apartments, as roommates, as, I don't know, family units, um, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about it. And at a young age, if we're not talking about it, huh? In a healthy way as well. Yeah, in a healthy, beautiful, open conversation. Um, And I think... I like when I start having children and like creating my own family, this is going to like, unfortunately my kids are going to be like sick of the conversation because I don't one want this to ever happen to them. And two, I don't want them to ever feel like they can never talk about it, talk about it to me or talk about it to anybody. I don't want, I don't want anybody to go through 16 years of having this as a secret. Um, and, and I just, I, I want to bring into the light, the conversations let's have them, let's have them let's struggle let's be offended let's recuperate from the offense you know like let's just do it let's feel yeah we need to feel i love that feel to the freaking soul too. feel to the freaking soul yeah <laughs> let's feel it oh gosh that I, is great that's that's perfect so i think i mean that is that is the mission that both braylon and i have when it comes to this podcast mm-hmm. is is sharing these stories in a way that we can be more open because the openness is healing. Yeah, for sure. I think we're going to find a very common theme here is is the moment that someone starts to feel the healing taking place is when they open up mm-hmm. to a trusted one. Yeah, and I think as we have different people on the podcast talk about their experiences um, and different topics we'll talk about, I think it's important to note that, first of all, these people struggled for a while you know and, and it wasn't process. it wasn't in the light for a long time but there's so much power in hearing their stories and 
And I think listening to the podcast and before listening to it, kind of thinking like having that mindset, how am I going to learn from this? Either to apply to a friend, to yourself, um, just because like we're not just doing this just to just do it, you know, we're, we're doing it to like help those conversations happen in your own brain with God or with other people, um, preferably as a community, as members of the church. And this, this underlying principle that the atonement of Christ actually changes. I, we, I can get on a soapbox here, but <laughs> let's get on it Aaron, together. <laughs> we read this scripture in ether 1227 yeah. about our weaknesses becoming strengths. And I don't think we believe it. But the I, atonement actually turns our weaknesses into strengths. I think that is completely true, even in my own story. This was such a weakness for me. I was so not confident. I was so never talked about it. And how many times had he read that verse? Yeah, growing up, literally. And you take you take comfort in it, but you but where's the application? Yeah, and you're like, well, I'm really weak in writing. Like maybe it'll be my <laughs> strength. You know what I mean? Like it's not like real life things that like. I mean, writing matters, but that like matters, you know, like I never thought about that. But this, this soul, this spiritual principle Mm -hmm. that we can change our weaknesses into strengths by applying the atonement of Christ. And, and I think something to note too, that weakness could become a weakness again, you Mm -hmm. know, just because it's a strength doesn't mean it's a strength forever. I mean, you're not over it. You're not over your, your trauma. It's, it's still a daily battle. It's still a daily battle, but I think I need to it's important to take the strengths out of the weaknesses, Mm -hmm. you know, like I think my weakness was the law of chastity in understanding what it is. Now that's one of my big strengths, but I could fall back on that, you know, and that doesn't mean I'm less than, or that I didn't repent or that I didn't learn, you know, like that's still a valid process that I went through. It's, it's what president Nelson has been preaching to us ever since he's become yeah. prophet is repentance is a daily and a lifelong process. Yeah. Repentance isn't something that you do once for a specific sin, mm-hmm. especially something like this. Yeah. That's, that's this heavy. I, I mean, agree. you go through it every day. Uh, oh Brilliant. yeah. Give me some. Put it there. <laughs> Thanks brother. This brother. Brother from another mother. <laughs> from another mother. My mom's white too, though. My dad's not black. Hey, we might be related. <laughs> This has been an episode on the Into the Light podcast with Aaron and Braylon. And we are so happy that you're listening. And we hope you got something out of it. Bray, do you know what our email is off the top of your head? Because I don't. Yeah. Into the Light 75. Wait, what was the DNC verse? 5024. 50. Doctrine and Covenants 5024. That's not it. We'll edit it back in. I'm not sure. Email us. We want your suggestions. We want your feedback. We want to know if this has helped. Yeah. And if you want to be on the podcast. Share us your story. Share us your story. We'll, we'll love to have you on. We're in Orem, but we can Zoom. There's technology nowadays. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we love you guys. Bye. Enough said. <laughs>